This is Data Podcast. In the ever-changing world of data, this is the podcast packed full of information to keep you right on top of all the developments. From AWS and Azure, through to data science, big data, AI and NoSQL, and everything in between, we cover the essential updates from both a technical and non-technical perspective, including special guests and in-depth interviews. Now, please welcome your hosts, Rajiv Baha and Shabnam Khan, with today's episode of Data Podcast. Dan Underwood, the founder of Impact Analytics LLC, is a recognized analytics industry expert. She has a unique blend of product management, design, and over 20 years of hands-on development of data warehouses, reporting, visualization, and advanced analytics solution. In addition to a keeping a constant pulse on industry trends, she enjoys digging into the oceans of data. Jen is honored to be an IBM Analytics Insider, SaaS contributor, former Tableau Zen master, and active analytics community member. In the past, Jen has held worldwide product management roles at Microsoft and served as a technical lead for system implementation firms. She has launched new analytics products and turned around failed projects. Today, she provides industry thought leadership, advisory, strategy, and market research. She also writes for Information Week, O'Reilly Media, and other tech industry publications. Jen has a Bachelor of Business Administration in Marketing, cum laude from the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and a postgraduate certificate in Computer Science, Data Mining from the University of California, San Diego. This is Shabnam, and I'm co-hosting with Rajiv today. Welcome to our show, Jen. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, it's our pleasure. First question we have is uh, comes from an article we read on Wall Street Journal. It was about automation analytics. You know, you've heard uh, descriptive analytics, predictive analytics, prescriptive analytics. My question is, what is the deal with automation analytics? Are they calling automatically scheduled jobs in automation automation analytics world, or is this uh, concept completely different? So what's going to be really interesting, and I've been following the automation of analytics for several years now, is... We're seeing more augmentation, not necessarily complete autom- automation of all these activities. Uh, when you think about you know, some of the other forms of automation, it's replacing humans. What we're seeing in analytics is it's helping humans. It, it's, it's not necessarily replacing them. In fact, I think the human element is still very critical for it to be successful. What I am seeing in this space is everything from data preparation of when you find a data source, loading it into a data model automatically, intelligently, in a data cleansing process, machine learning algorithms being able to prompt you and guide you as to what data types these should be. Maybe these are the values that look like they need to be corrected by the human. When you even go into more of the space of finding automated insights so then after the data has been loaded and prepared and cleansed we're seeing innovations right now there's a couple different groups that have been talking about feature engineering for data science and you're combining the data and finding that magic formula that will accurately predict data that's been an art form really for humans for many years we're seeing some automation of that capability 
simple insights, things like just finding an outlier in a data set or, or what types of correlations between values. Those things have been around for a while. You'll see, uh, I think Spotfire had recommended visualizations years ago. Microsoft has some. There's certainly different solutions out in the market. Beyond Core, they're now Salesforce Einstein and it has very sophisticated you know, automation of the data itself with predictive and prescriptive recommendations. Uh, I'm working with a group called Tellius. They're a newer vendor in this space. They also have similar predictive and prescriptive recommendations of loaded data. So it's getting exciting. I think it's, it's very, very neat um, and certainly adds a lot of value. Gartner just last week released, or I guess it was maybe two weeks ago already, the end of July released a must-read paper called Augmented Intelligence is the Future of Analytics. And I wrote about that in Information Week because it is a really interesting shift that if we think about historically, we had traditional BI and that was very resource intensive of building a data warehouse and loading and transferring data to now having you know, the, the self-service modern data discovery, it's quite easy for anybody really in an organization to drag and drop to now a lot of it being automated, which, which is going to disrupt the market once again. Um, so they're calling it the third wave of analytics and analytics automation. Um, but, but the title that they're using is aud augmented analytics. Wow, that's impressive. I'm glad you brought up uh, the Gartner article because we are going to ask you uh, our second question about the, one of the article that they mentioned that according to Gartner, by tw 2019, the natural language generation will be a standard feature of 90% of modern BI and analytics platforms. NLD was also cited by Forbes in 2017 as a top 10 hot AI technology. What is the natural language generation and how does this subfield of AI differ from natural language processing or NLP? Yeah, this is a great question. It's very timely because just two days ago we saw Tableau acquire a company in this particular space. So there's been a lot of, I think it was called ClearGraph, I hope I got the name right. But it, there's been a lot of buzz about this. But quite frankly, natural language generation, and there is a report that comes out every summer. It's called the Mary Meeker you know, Internet Trends. It's, a, it's one of those reports that is a must read for anybody in, in this space, really even in a lot of different spaces. She, does, um, she works for one of the largest VC firms, venture capital firms, in the industry. And... Even in her research, just looking at, when you think about natural language, that's being able to talk. So if you think about Siri and think about, you have Cortana and Alexa, I believe it was Echo was the most popular gift this year for the holidays in the last, um, in the United States. So it's been very interesting to see how folks are getting used to talking to the devices at first the technology wasn't very good for being able to decipher and, and even myself I don't actually use the talking I don't talk to my phone and ask to search things or tell tell Alexa we have it I just have it unplugged in the house but it's funny it's it's very very popular and one thing that's gonna you'll see at least from in the analytics space is you'll see folks that have never been able to or, or wouldn't even be willing 
to to put in values for a report per se, they won't mind asking a question. And if they get an answer, it's going to be addictive. Um, one of my favorite demos that I used to give when I was a product manager was being able to, what is my forecast for the month of June? And you know, people in the audience couldn't believe, wow, this is really amazing that you know, not only was the technology able to you know, compute and look at the data, it could give me a forecast with the highs and lows and ranges and, and predictive you know, likelihood of, of achieving that quota, and it would just floor the audience. Um, when you think about the difference with natural language generation, the processing part is a little different. So when you think about processing, that was very basic. When you're thinking about natural language generation in the white paper that I wrote, I had to learn a bit about this space. And what I've learned is there's different levels. So there's some levels at the very, you know, some of the beginner levels are, you know, providing some templates of, you know, here's some responses, you know, maybe here's a template, you're going to insert a value here, highs and lows. And, you know, the human was very, very involved in you know, creating what you would call a human response template. In the more advanced formats of natural language generation that we're seeing today, the system, the deep learning, and some of these other types of algorithms are able to intelligently respond without those templates. They learn from you know, the, the different types of dictionaries that they're provided, and they learn from the context of the data. And that's what's freaking people out, and that's what's really cool is it understands not just here's a value, it understands the context. And when I used to talk about dashboards or I tell people about data visualization and communicating effectively, I would always say context is key, it's critical. And the fact that natural language is able to now use artificial intelligence to provide context and it's improving and you have the devices, you know, little devices like the phones and whatnot, that you're able to talk to, um, it's taking it to a whole nother realm. And I think it's going to be, you know, a human just being able to ask about your data is probably gonna be one of the biggest shifts we see in this space. That's great. Recently, I noticed you released an white paper on humanizing enterprise application software with natural language. Would you care to share more details on that? Sure. One of the things that I wrote in there is I described, you know, what are the differences? So you just asked, what's, hey, what's NLP versus NLG? I do describe that uh, in that particular white paper. For folks that are interested in downloading that white paper, I have it available on jenunderwood.com under my resources link. Narrative Science was the vendor that sponsored that article and I did a lot of research with. Um, they also have it available on their website. But in the paper itself, I educate folks as to what this means and why it's really important for mostly application developers uh, to be able to be thinking about, you know, historically we've used reports and dashboards that were very manual. It would require someone to put in, you know, a date range, you know, what region, and, you know, essentially display lots of charts and graphs. And what I learned in this process, and here's the funny thing, a lot of times when someone will come to me with these technologies, I'm skeptical. I don't know if it's because I'm an engineer. I don't know if, if if I'm just, you know, a skeptical person or what the story is, but I was skeptical and I said, well, gosh, you know, the reason why we have charts and dashboards is because I don't want to read all that stuff. But what I didn't realize and what I forgot is I'm so biased because I know data. I am used to looking at charts and KPIs and interpreting what they mean. What I learned from, you know, talking to some of the customers that are using these solutions and looking at how popular they've become 
is that the general user base that's not necessarily in, you know, somebody that's a number cruncher, if you have somebody that's a customer service agent or you have someone that's just in the field, you know, they need an answer really quickly, just to be able to skim a quick sentence that they understand, even if it's put on a dashboard with the rest of the charts and graphs, was really, really made a difference in adoption and how easily they were able to use the information effectively. So one of the gaps that natural language fills is this interpretation graph that not everybody can interpret data. And that part, I, I just, you know, again, you just get so used to it in your day-to-day -day life. I didn't see the value in talking to folks that don't interpret data. I'm like, oh, wow, I guess this is really helpful. And then taking it further with voice and being able to just to simply ask a question and interact or search, which uh, has been very popular. And I'm starting to see it come up again in, in a lot of the different solutions, whether it's you know, Microsoft's Q&A, they were probably one of the first ones to have it. ThoughtSpot has a solution just dedicated 100% to search. Telius has search. Um, you know, you're seeing search come up more often now because now the natural language aspect is there. Another thing that I, I wrote about in the white paper is how to design these solutions and, and how to think about it. There's a concept, and IBM always talks about this as design thinking, and you're going to hear a lot more about that. And if, you know, classic business analysts and folks that are designing new processes in a digital transformation, we're talking about redesigning the way people work to be more effective, not necessarily rebuilding what you have already. Um, so it's an opportunity to look at things differently and to, to kind of say, what if you could do this? Or what if you, you could just ask a question and get an answer with data? These are the types of things, you know, providing some of that guidance and different ways to think and design your application with this technology is what I wrote about. That's awesome. That was really detailed. So I, I understand that um, you had just mentioned how easy it is to use these devices and how um, comfortable it is to uh, use them. Um, I would like to know what are some other major forces that you think are currently driving the demand for this advanced NLG? Well, I think the other thing that we're finding, okay, so if you want to, historically in BI and analytics, you'd have a group of folks that would design in their technical and they develop and use this. And, and again, pro probably if you're very successful and the numbers are still the same. I think Gartner released yet another blog earlier this year, a report earlier this year that said, you know, if you can get about 25 to 30% of folks in an organization adopting analytics, you're at the top. I mean, wow, that's sad. So think about 70% 70, 70 of the organization. What are they doing? <laughs> How are they making decisions? You know, well, I, feel like, I, think, I think this is my most successful customer. It, it's really interesting to me that even though this, the tools are so much easier, you still have people not using it. So, you know, when I look at the opportunity, you have this whole, you know, a lot of folks now in the younger generations, they are data driven. They've grown up with these devices. They're, they're computer savvy, but we still have this big gap. And part of it, and, I, and I've told people for a long time, it's not necessarily that it's hard to put in the, the start date and the end date in the report. I mean, I've been doing this 20 plus years. It, that wasn't hard. It, it, I think what's different is just making it, you know, it was, it was I think you have a lazy factor you have a caring factor, um, a trusting factor of the data. There, there's lots of different factors and motivation. But again, if you just make it so simple and embed it into the processes that they're already using. So if I think about my dad, <clears throat> he grew up in, in, 
he worked in a factory and he didn't use a computer in his work he he had computers come late, later on um, as I was getting older and he would even look at it and he was very funny about it he's like oh this machine I don't know, see the worth this he was very very again maybe that's where I get my skepticism he was very skeptical of these things but once he got you know once he would get in there you know he would want to ask it a question but it wouldn't necessarily provide him an answer back it wasn't as it, as as we thought it was super easy it wasn't for him i think natural language again just being able if my dad could just ask and he would have been interested in like how how many hours do i left in vacation i mean that's what he would have been interested in hey how many <laughs> how many hours do i have or how many days can i take off for the rest of the year. Um, if he would have gotten that, I bet he would have been hooked. And if you think about just how simple it would be, you know, how many people are using Google searches, to being able to use natural language for Google search, I saw, and it was really interesting when I was a product manager, we had a group and I'm like, what are you doing with the solution? And, and you know, we were trying to figure out, they were the outlier in the data mix of usage. And they're like, Oh, we just put this data in and it's our call center. We don't have to create any reports. We just we just load the data and all they do is all, while they're on the phone, they use the search the search function and they can answer questions when when customers call up. I'm like, "Well, that's brilliant." And so that's the type of thing where, "Hey, once you make it as easy as a Google search, now you have anybody that can use it." And if it's within the process that they're doing. So, you know, if it's really easy for them whether it is you know, if they're a salesperson that's in the field and they're using a phone or maybe it's an application for the, the CRM, you know, if that's what Einstein's doing. They just put it right into the CRM for, for the sales folks where you have the customer call center and it's just right there in their application for their customer service app, making it accessible to the user within their process. You're not changing what they do. You're just improving what they do. Um, and making it so easy, now we can bridge that gap. And I think if I think about why this is so hot is people see how addictive it is and how fun it is. And even Mary Meeker mentioned, hey, the huge jump. And once once the system figured out how to interpret words, you know, it was crummy before. It's pretty good now. It's fun. People like it. Oh, that's great. Thank you for bringing up your uh, story uh, with your dad and uh, his computer experience. You know, in a uh, lighthearted note, let's say your dad was to ask you what is basic and advanced analogy. How would you explain it to him? Um, I would basically tell him it would be as if he had his time card and he had to fill out, you know, there's like be a little space to put his name and the days in there, <laughs> you know, how many hours did he do and did he, you know, what, what, what task did he do that day? And he had to fill out the little, you know, put parts in his time card. Advanced analogy would hit, would, would be him just saying, just saying, hey, I worked 40, 45 hours this week in assembly line. And, it, and then the solution's smart enough to know, and it breaks it up somewhat evenly. Or, you know, I worked three extra hours on, this, on, on Thursday. The system being smart enough to fill in that time card that Tom did this, and each day it would fill in eight hours, except for Thursday it would go ahead and put 11 hours in there. It would know intelligently where to put everything and, you know, how to how to lay it all out. That's brilliant, and I I know that I have already um, 
noticed that you have mentioned some benefits of embedding the NLG into applications um, in, you know, how the, um, they were uh, putting answer questions into the um, search fields and answering right away. Um, are there any other benefits that you could think of um, that embedding NLG into applications? Well, certainly when I think about how many applications are expensive that are out there, I think I have an old MATLAB. Do I still have it in here? Somewhere <laughs> I have an old MATLAB box and somewhere I have an old, um, it's Esri GIS, you know, because I'm addicted to this stuff. I'm always trying to learn and play with new things. And you install it and you look at it and you're like, oh my God, I don't know what to do with it. You just, it's too, you know, you're like, yep. oh wow, that's neat. Or even looking at a lot of the data science stuff. So I have a couple of years of data science training and I play with it. I've been playing with it now, you know, probably about 10, no, I'm trying to think, 2007. Yeah, it's about 10 years. And I, I look at some of the results and I don't even necessarily at times. You're like, you know, am I, am, am I interpreting? So I'm going to come back to that, being able to interpret and know what you're even looking at. Um, when you look at things like medical professions and some of the other fields where this is being used to make recommendations or to be able to take a library of information with all these customized terms, all expensive software, you know, very niche type applications, there's just a lot of value there in extending beyond you know somebody waiting for somebody in the back room so similar to bi in analytics where you know you only had the data you know folks like me a bi professional or an analytics professional or statistician or data scientist now you can expand that to many other types of fields so whether it's the gis you know expert or the you know the med the medical professional looking at the data you know you hear a lot about watson in healthcare ibm watson analytics and healthcare and those types of things um, because again, now we're expanding who might be able to interpret some of those results to a, a wider range of folks. And there is a ton of value for that. Wow. Thank you for uh, sharing those details. And now we have this application called uh, Quill by Narrative Science. Uh, are they the only vendor in NLG space? Uh, and uh, if not, how do they compare to their competition? Uh, and what do you think are their pros and cons to similar platform? And if you could also share names of other platforms, if there are any. Okay, so yeah, there's definitely a few in this space. I'm sure they would want me to say that <laughs> they're the only ones. Uh, but uh, realistically, I've been following Automated Insights for a while, and there's certainly a couple other ones in this space. Uh, that do similar types of things. When I think about, you know, automated insights, I think more if you're seeing, I'm trying to think what his name is, Mark, is it Mark Rubin maybe? That he's one of the sharks on TV and he has a basketball team as well. And there's Associated Press and a few other groups that will automate. Are you Mark Cuban, you mean? Yes, that guy. Okay. Yes, <laughs> that's who I was meaning. Thank you. Yep. Um, essentially, being able to... Um, automatically write sports stories and these different data stories. The investment traders are using these types of things. I think that's where I see automated insights more often is writing some stories and there's a few other ones that do that type of thing. Um, when I think about where, autom or where I think about Quill and I think about narrative science, where I see them the most right now is the BI and analytics space. So they're integrated into MicroStrategy, ClickSense, SizeSense, Microsoft, they have something for Tableau. 
Uh, they have, I think, actually, I think Spotfire went with Automated Insights or Wordsmith. Um, I think that's their platform. But when I really look at, you know, where the, where the strengths are, I'm seeing some of the other players in other applications. And I'm seeing narrative science really in this BI and analytics space. Anything that has a chart worth a really strong at is interpreting a different type of chart. And, you know, the, the highs and lows, the averages, the context over time, or if you feed it some other, you know, user-specific dialogues, or that's not the right, user-specific libraries or domain-specific libraries. That's what the word I was trying to find. Mm-hmm. That's where those guys seem to shine. So interpreting data for those types of use cases. That's awesome. Uh, thank you so much, Jen. We have learned a lot. It was really insightful conversation. We enjoyed, and uh, we are looking forward to hearing from you and you know connecting with you more. On that note, how do we connect with you in Twitter and other professional networking sites? So, and I'm very active actually. So I'm pretty active on Twitter. My hashtag or my little I don't know what you would call that. Your name per se. Your little Twitter handle mm-hmm. is at idigdata. And please do follow me. I, I'm usually breaking news and following news. I, I don't tell you if I drank coffee that day. And uh, <laughs> I, I leave some of the silly stuff for, for Facebooks and, and other things. Um, I have a popular website, jenunderwood.com. Um, I post there a couple times a week. And then I also have a news site, industrypulse.com. And for the most part, if you don't want to follow news every day, I do a wrap-up on jenunderwood.com monthly of the top industry news in the in the analytics space. Um, I also write for Information Week. You're free to, to peruse those articles. Um, I have LinkedIn. I'm probably less uh, active on Instagrams and those types of things. Those are probably more like, hey, these are my flowers. And, and, I, and I don't bother with that on the other channels. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're fun like to do, flowers, right? flowers, my Instagram's very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, thank you, Jan. Uh, it was a really wonderful conversation. and. I love the story about your dad and computers, so super mm-hmm. awesome, and wish you lots of success in coming years. Oh, thank you, and thanks again. Call back anytime. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Data Podcast. You're welcome to follow our hosts on Twitter at Rajib2k5, at Shabnam Khan2017, and on YouTube at youtube.com slash Rajib2k5. Our episodes are also available via iTunes, SoundCloud, Google, and other podcasting platforms. Thank you for tuning in.